we're talking about the subject today of the Christian and government. But you didn't come to a political rally today. <laughs> In fact, I'm not here to hype you up about some particular social issue or agenda. But I'm here for us to look again into the Word of God and try to understand more clearly how God would have us live in the situation of our government and how the Lord would have us respond to our government. We're going to begin today by looking at the passage of Scripture that Pastor Todd used last week. And in the course of the message, we're going to look at several other passages too. You'll have opportunity to write these down again later. But I want us to first uh, begin by reading together the passage of Scripture that we uh, began this uh, particular theme in last Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 13 and read together down through verse 17. Notice these words in God's Word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. As we read that passage of Scripture in, in reality... Uh, it tells us just about everything we need to know about today's subject. If we read it carefully, hear it well, and apply it uh, in our lives, then we would find ourselves walking in sync with the plan of God for Christians regarding their government, wherever that is in the world. So our purpose today is not so much to tell you something new but our purpose is to give or add some situational context and greater biblical context to these truths that we've already seen in this particular passage. We'll be looking at the uh, scripture today in light of three statements. First of all, as Christians, we need to understand our relationship to government. Understand our relationship to government. Then we need to understand our responsibilities to government. And then we need to be willing to accept. We can know them, but we need to be willing to accept our responsibility for our government. So we're going to look at the scriptures today and the information that we'll share in light of those three things. We're going to start by looking at what does it mean uh, to the Christian uh, to be related to government? How do we relate to the government under which we live? The first question I'll ask is what does it mean to the Christian to be part of or under a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people? 
It's going to be critical that we understand that as we move along because there are many places in the world where this is not true. There are many places in the world where the people have little or no influence over what the government says or does. The government has total control. And we don't have uh, that in our country in the same way. We, from the beginning, were blessed, and I believe it's not, I believe it is a providential blessing, not just a constitutional statement, but I believe that we are blessed uh, to be a government that has these three characteristics to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. But those three things bring to us some very serious responsibilities. And I want us to see what God would have to say about those. One of the greatest challenges we face in our Christian faith in the real world is to balance our dual citizenship. We are citizens of an earthly kingdom while at the same time being citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And when we talk about those things, we have to learn how to live in both worlds. Uh, we don't want to be schizophrenic ourselves, but we want to be, learn how to be faithful and to live out our responsibilities in both of those worlds. And so we ask the questions, how do I balance the two, the two kingdoms under the best of circumstances? When government is good and God is always good, how do I balance those circumstances? How do I make the most of the opportunities which freedom in both worlds affords me? How do I take advantage of being free in Christ? For if the Son shall make you free, you're free indeed. And being free as an American, enjoying the liberties that we have been granted here. The third question is, how can I be loyal to both? And especially if one is in conflict with the other. And here's where it becomes a more difficult thing for us. What if... The government of my earthly kingdom is in conflict with the ruler of my heavenly kingdom. What do I do when there is conflict? And then the fourth question is, what determines my course of action? And this is really where we're going to dig in in the message today. What determines my course of action when I find myself in this situation of having to deal uh, with conflict or choices over this situation? Well, our, this question should first be answered, I think, from the biblical and the spiritual perspective. What determines my course of action? I should ask uh, two familiar uh, questions. The first is, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And we have to get serious about it. We can't be cliche-ish about those things. We can't predetermine what Jesus was, would do and say, well, surely he would do what I think is right in this situation. We must be willing to honestly answer the question. And the way that we do that is by saying, what does the Bible say about this? And if the Bible speaks clearly, Christians, we have our answer. We have the answer to the question, what do I do? And how do I live in these circumstances? So we're going to hope to find at least some greater understanding of what the Bible teaches in general uh, principles and maybe in some specifics. You see, one of the slippery slopes in modern decision making is to interpret Scripture 
and life principles in light of four uh, 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 systems that are not in sync with the Word of God, at least in most cases. We often will interpret the scriptures and life principles purely in the light of personal preferences. What do I want to do? What will make me feel best? What makes me feel good? What makes me happy? Or simply maybe what makes things better for me in my circumstance? And when we focus on personal I things, personal preferences, it is easy to begin to live in that world and thus to interpret Scripture and everything related to it uh, from that perspective. The second area is that we often interpret these things, Bible and uh, life principles, by cultural influences. It's amazing to me how over generations of time that Christians even have, in, have adjusted gradually uh, nonetheless, but adjusted to be and think more like the culture in which we live. Rather than being salt and light to bring greater influence in the culture in which we live, we find ourselves often making our choices and decisions on a standard that has been lowered from the biblical standard to a culturally acceptable standard. Then the third is that we sometimes interpret Bible and life principles by simply popular opinion. What, you know, what, what will be the people, what will most people expect or what was the, what will they uh, uh, accept and or what is the majority opinion? You see, if, if more or most people say it's okay, then it must be okay. God didn't ask us to take a vote on whether his word was true and whether his instructions were right. He has declared those things and they remain true and they remain right throughout all generations, throughout all cultural shifts until the end of time, his word remains true. And so we need to take that into consideration when we start to allow the strength of popular opinion control how we think about life and the things of life. And then convenience and situational context plays into this as well. Convenience is, well, I'm in a situation right now and the easiest thing to do would just be go along. The convenient thing to do would be not make any waves. Or this would be simpler. I, you know, I wouldn't have to deal with this and this or him or her. I would just be okay. So I could just deal with it because it's convenient. And along with that also comes situational ethics. Sometimes we choose right and wrong uh, based on the situation. And it's okay to, to lie or to cheat or to steal or, or to do certain things given the right circumstance. And so our circumstances or situation begin to determine well, how we decide and what we decide in a particular instance or in a particular situation or circumstance. Well, all of these things we know are not really true. All of life's issues are actually addressed in the scriptures, including our relationship to government. And when we, what we should learn to do and stay tied to doing, committed to doing in our lives is that we interpret all of these things in light of 
the scripture. What does God say? There's a method of Bible study used by some missionaries in particular in foreign countries where they're teaching people who have never seen the Bible before or at least never read it and, and had any exposure to it. And they begin to work with them about life issues and other things. And when they come to a question from the, the crowd of folk or the group, they come to a question about a life issue. They never say, well, this is what I think. They say, let's get our Bibles out and find what the Bible says about it, because that's God's word. And when we find what the Bible says about it, okay, that's the answer. That's the answer. It's not all the other stuff mixed in. It's not my opinion or your opinion or what works for you or works for me. It's what did God say when he gave us his word. And so the heart of what we're talking about today is a simple truth, and that is God said it, and that settles it. We need to learn to hear and listen to and apply the Word of God to all of our life situations, including our relationship uh, to government. Another thing that we probably need to clarify when we're talking about government is what do we mean by the government when we say, well, we like it or we don't like it or we approve or we disapprove of what's going on in government. Sometimes when we use that term, it's a term that's, that's used to refer to the leaders of our government. In other words, the people in charge at the give, a given time and whether we either appreciate and like or dislike or disapprove of the decisions or the person that has been elected to a particular office and so we like them or we don't based on what they, who they are, what they believe, and the positions that they take on certain issues. So sometimes it's directed toward a particular person. Sometimes when we talk about government that we either like it or, or don't like it, we're referring to the decisions of government themselves. What we don't like are the current decisions that are being made and how those things affect or impact our lives. The other thing we might mean if we say we don't like the government is, when, is referring to the institution of government as a whole. And we're probably saying they're not just the institution of government. We're talking about a, a general appreciation for or dislike or distrust for government in general and possibly for all authority structures. And folks, when we, if we get to that point in our lives, where we have an attitude that we distrust all authority and we think that there is evil intent in every uh, governmental system and all of those kinds of things, we've got an issue that's bigger than, uh, than just the simple issue of what's right and wrong about a particular issue. We have an, a, a problem with authority in our lives and we need to deal with that before God and we'll find out why in just a few moments. Who or what it is about government that you like or dislike uh, is important to distinguish. And if you separate the attitudes that you have toward government from government and just say about anything life uh, affecting anything in life in general, would it still be okay? Could I still say the same things? Could I still act the same way? Could I still feel even the same way about those things? If it was something else in life, rather than government. Sometimes we separate, we, we compartmentalize 
how we respond to and how we relate to government, whether we're liking it or not. And we take on a whole emotional level that takes us sometimes out of, out of the realm of our reasonable and rational thought, and especially out of our scriptural base for what we do. We want to be careful about that. Maybe you don't go there. Maybe I or some others are the only ones who do. But for those of us who do or who might, let's be careful that we don't get to that level. Another general factor to understand about government and our relating to it, especially in a democratic republic like ours, where the entire system of government emanates from we the people. Remember those three things that we talked about in the beginning and there? Of the people, by the people, for the people. In a system of government like ours, in, in all, we said earlier, many places in the world it's not true. But in our system of government, there is a process or a system by which the people are involved in all three of these. We have to decide where to appropriately give credit or blame as a Christian when we are talking about government. We have a government which is led, led uh, who, uh, by people who lead, legislate, direct, and litigate in every branch of government who are either directly or indirectly elected by the people. In other words, every leader is elected by the people or appointed or approved by an elected official. Laws are made, passed and signed and, or vetoed and enforced and so on and so forth by people who are elected or subsequently appointed by elected officials at some capacity. So when we talk about this matter of how our government works, we need to focus for a moment on what we, who we the people are. What is the source or the root? You see, elections are a reflection of the current conditions in our culture. We look at the government sometimes and we think, well, what a mess we have. But what you see there is a reflection of something that's really the root, not the fruit. It is a reflection of the culture. How'd they get there? Somebody elected them. <laughs> Who elected them? We the people. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it wasn't me. But it was, as is, a reflection of the conditions of the culture that we're in. If you see a pattern or a trend in government, it's not that the government is the first step in impressing that trend on the people. But the, that people elect people and keep on electing people who hold to a particular position. And left in that position long enough, they develop the ability to create structures and our, our guidelines or whatever, laws, whatever, that eventually come flooding back onto the people. But the fact is, the way they got there was because there were enough people like them. Enough people who felt the same way about who they are, their ideologies, and their, their ideas that they would promote in government, their position on whatever the conditions were, 
enough people in the we the people felt strongly enough that they engaged in the process and as a result, they have brought about the condition of government under which we currently live. Whether you like it or don't like it, whether it's good or whether it's bad, the ultimate responsibility of how we got where we are is with us, the people. Well, when we talk about that, I, you know, sometimes I hear and even think myself, look what the government is doing to us. But I think that we must consider, look what we have done to the government. Look what we have created by our action or inaction. Look what we have created uh, with, with allowing or by simply the fact that our culture has drifted so far away from the principles of God's word. And as a result of that, the reflection we see in the people that we put in office from local to national entities are a reflection of the most people in our country. There was a day when we used to say of America, we are a Christian nation. There was a time when Judeo-Christian principles were such a, a, a thoroughly <laughs> embedded in and thoroughly widespread in the thought of the people of this country that that was what was reflected in our country. But we have come a long way from that. And as a result of that, the reflection we see is what's happening in, in the lives of the people of our land. And thus it is reflected in and it, continues, it be, becomes a cyclical or a spiral downward thing. It goes downward and downward because we've not taken advantage of the principles or, or the privileges that we have in our country. We are constitutionally, and I believe providentially, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we like the for the people part. <laughs> and we cry when somebody takes away part of that for the people part. But are we taking responsibility for the of the people, by the people part? I want to shift to another thought about that and bring us to a more spiritual uh, concept here. And that is, we come to look at this whole situation, and from a Christian perspective, I think that we, sh we should say and or agree, and you hear preachers say it all the time, the only hope for America is God. And we pray for God to intervene in government. But I believe that what we really need is, is not to pray just that God would intervene in government. But what we need to be doing is praying for the change of hearts of the people, the change of hearts of the people of God. We call it revival, renewed spiritual fervor and dedication of God's people and for spiritual awakening in this country where many people come to know Jesus. Spiritual awakening is that work of God's Holy Spirit when he calls so many people to uh, an understanding of his grace and their need for Christ, and many people come to Christ through the proclamation of the truth. In some real ways, the best thing that we can do to influence our government is pray for revival and preach the gospel. That's our main assignment anyway. I think if we spend a lot more of our time and energy 
praying for revival and preaching the gospel, we would see a lot more people begin to be influenced by the gospel and by the word of God, and they would begin to take their biblical um, perspectives into the halls of government and the halls of justice and other places in our country. And so I'm saying to us today that the real answers to where we go is in the word of God. And that the way that we change a country in which we elect people who ultimately decide for us as our representatives, et cetera, in government, the way we change that is to have first a change in the heart of enough people that it influences the culture in which we live. Government will change if the culture changes. And when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about we the people. Lots of things motivate how people vote, economic, social issues, and all kinds of things. But for us, how we engage with government, and I think we should engage, how we engage with government should be based on the teaching of God's Word to us. And so I want to move from talking about our, response, our, our relationship to the government to talk about our responsibility to the government. The responsibility, here's where we shift from doing for the people to of and by the people. And I want to begin by looking briefly again at the passage that is our text for this study. And in this particular set, we're going to talk about the responsibility of the government in three aspects. First, we've already talked about it, but we'll emphasize briefly again, we're to honor and submit to those in authority over us. You say, I don't like that. Well, talk to God about it. <laughs> That's what, it's, it's his word. And then the second thing is that we obey with one exception. One exception. And the third thing is that we pray and preach the gospel as our main our main tool, our, our main avenue of bringing about change in our world. Notice, if you will, the passages that we've been looking at, and we'll first look again in 1 Peter, and we'll just uh, step through it. And he says there, first of all, take the posture of humble submission. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's the emperor supreme or to the governor's. And then understand the passage goes on to say that that government has been given to us for uh, by God, that he has instituted it, he has put it in place. So we understand the posture toward government, humble submission. We understand the source of government, God, who has established the authority. And then we understand the purpose of government to punish evildoers and to praise those who do good. And then he says to us, Live in freedom. Oh, I like that. But he continues to say, but don't abuse the privilege. <laughs> don't abuse. Why are, you, why are you free? And he tells us here in this passage and in others, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You are free to find out what God has told you to do. And do it. We have the freedom still. I mean, it's eroded away some, but we have the freedom still 
to figure out what God has told us to do and do it. Celebrate that freedom, but live in it in a real way. And so he's calling us to do that. We've been called to be servants. Another passage that talks about this is in Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul said to the Galatian church, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve. Through love serve. In both these passages, he reminds us that the purpose of our freedom is so that we can serve God, and by serving God, we can serve our fellow man. We let the love of God flow through us, uh, to us and then through us in where we serve those around us. And then the passage, of course, said, Revere God, honor everyone, and honor everyone, love the brothers, fear God, honor the emperor. He calls us to that in that passage. Let's look at another passage briefly that is very similar. In fact, it, it's almost, it could be a parallel passage to this one in Romans chapter 13. This is probably the most popular passage on the, the subject of the Christian and government. And here in this passage, you'll see some very similar things. He starts out by at the same place that our position or our posture, as Pastor Todd so uh, well uh, explained it to us last week, that let every person be subject to the governing authorities, that place of humble submission. And then he goes on to tell us about the source of government. For there is no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The source of government, in fact, the source of all authority over them and over us is God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, and he's going to talk about the purpose of government, resists the authority, uh, resists what God has appointed, those who resist will incur judgment. The government's purpose, to punish evil. He goes on to say, if you'll do good, then you will receive the approval of the government. You will, you'll have approval. So it's to praise those who do good and to, to punish those who do evil. He continues the passage to say to us, listen, if you really want to get serious about this thing, here are two things for you to consider there in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In other words, he's saying to us, listen, I'm, God has a vested interest in how we respond to those in authority over us. Why? He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He expects us to reflect him, his character, his will, his word in the circumstances in which we live, no matter what those circumstances are. And then he says to us, do your part willingly. Step up and pay up. I like, I like to put it that way. Verse uh, 7, he says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. A very similar passage and similar things that, that we have here. Jesus uh, spoke to that last part of stepping up and paying up in Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 and following. He comes down to verse 21 in this passage, and he says to them, uh, he, then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's 
and to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Here's that balance. Find out what those are. What is Caesar's and what is God's and how do I respond to it? I said there is also one exception to this uh, matter that we talk about of obedience. And we come to that in the next passage in Acts chapter 27. In this particular passage, the context is that quasi-governmental uh, religious authority uh, of, of the uh, religious council that was also in, uh, in cahoots, shall we say, with the uh, authorities, the Roman authorities and others in that day. And, and so it was a quasi-government authority, but that government authority had said to the apostles, stop preaching the gospel in the city. If you don't, you're going to be in serious trouble. <laughs> we, uh, we have demanded, uh, in verse 28, it says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, the simple answer, we must obey God rather than men. This is the one exception that we find as far as I know in Scripture. The one exception is when the demands of the authorities over us are in direct conflict with the directions of the God who is above all authority. And when those authorities, those earthly authorities, demand of us that we do be something or do something that is contrary to the teaching of God and His Word, then we have a Christian responsibility to honor the highest authority rather than the lower authority. But we must be prepared to accept the consequences when we do. It all, won't always be taken well. You remember the, the Hebrew children in Daniel in the Old Testament? First of all, Daniel, you know, he was commanded to and put in a place of, of respect, and it had been easy circumstantially for him to just go along. But Daniel resolved and he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He resolved not to compromise who he was, even for the king and even if it meant his life. But the Hebrew children are perhaps a clearer example. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar made this, made this golden idol, and he said, when you hear the trumpet sound, everybody's to bow down to that idol. And if you don't, into the fiery furnace you go. Well, the Hebrew children, these three Hebrew boys, I call them, they said, listen, uh, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you put us in the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And we, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and worship the golden image you have set up. In other words, we're willing to accept the consequences if it's necessary. But we've come to a clear point when it's God or government, and I have to do what God has told me to do. There are not a whole lot, you know, long, a large range of exceptions, but the one is, is when one authority says something that the authority is contrary to his will and his word. 
So we look uh, at this matter and we, we hear God saying to us, it's time to follow me. The final principle in this section is simply that we need to come to the point where we pray and preach the gospel. It's back to what we talked about before, but in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we find these words. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made to for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for your leaders. Pray for everyone. Pray for the people. Pray for everyone, but pray specifically for your leaders, the people in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's burden for the world doesn't have to do with social things nearly as much as it has to do with the souls of lost humanity. It has a lot more to do with that. And so he says, pray for your government, but pray so that they can have the, the best opportunity that, you can, that freedom and peace can remain so that people can come to know Christ, who, who doesn't will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The goal of the matter is that people be saved. And Paul was even willing to say, if I have to go to prison and stay in prison for a while, if that means I get to witness to the jailers, you remember that context? And they come to know the Lord, then all right. All right, if that's God's will, then that's where I'll be. And I'll be accepting that as God's will. Well, let me wrap it up by what will be here, a um, kind of a summary and then just a point to kind of bring it home for us. But what we're going to look at here in, in this next uh, thing is simply that we must accept our responsibility for the government. In our relationship to the government and our understanding of our responsibilities to the government, the question is, are we going to do it? <laughs> are we going to accept what God says? Are we going to do what we want to do? Well, if we look through the, the scriptures and the things that we've already talked about today, we'd find that we uh, must, first of all, we must faithfully follow the biblical principles if we're going to respond correctly as a Christian. Faithfully follow the biblical principles. The second thing we have to do is participate in the processes for influence. Inform yourself, engage in the processes, and take action. Vote. Be your, be your voice and take your, do your part to bring about the practical changes in the process. Do what you can. Use your most powerful weapons most of the time. Pray for revival and preach or proclaim the gospel. I'm so thankful for the emphasis on this here in our church. And then let God be God of all. Folks, sacrifice and suffering are sometimes one of the ways that God demonstrates his grace in and through our lives to other people. So don't think when it gets hard or difficult or challenging, 
that it's always bad, God may be doing something bigger. He even sometimes has chosen to place evil rulers over his people in order to bring them back to holiness. A lot of the Old Testament is about that very fact. Sometimes it is God's instrument to bring us back around. So when all is said and done, find the answers in his word, submit to him, and let God be God. Do what you must to honor authorities under God. Then do what you can to change directions for good. Come through it all and out of it all, acting and looking like Jesus. What would Jesus do? It's more important that we live right and act right than it is for us to have our rights. It's more important that we suffer well than that we discredit our witness and biblical position by bad behavior. Let's do our best to overcome evil with good, as the scripture says, and all for the glory of our God. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak to our hearts very clearly. That you will help us today to assume that posture, that understanding, that attitude that your way is best. And Lord, let us take some steps back and maybe just sit down and relax a few minutes and focus on you. Maybe we need to go on our knees. But so that we can accept the fact that whatever our circumstance, you will show us what we need to do. And Lord, we, we need to take a stand. We need to do the right thing. We need to do all that we can to help as many people come to you and follow you as possible. Lord, help us to get in that position where we're just saying, yes, Lord whatever you'd have us do, all to your glory and for the good of all those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.